Hello, welcome back to the I Want Her Job podcast. So today we're speaking with Jane Mitchell, an inspiring lady who has a career path that is not as widely traveled, not very conventional. Jane started the Reset Foundation to help young adults coming out of jail stay out of the cycles of jail and poverty. Here's a startling stat for you that may surprise you. The U.S. has the highest incarceration rate in the world with 2.8 million behind bars and 68% rearrested within three years. In our show today, Jane tells us how her path to this field of work started with one afternoon in college when she joined a friend to tutor at a Bay Area prison, and that one afternoon seems to have set her destiny. As you will hear in this interview, Jane absolutely loves her job. She is a woman of faith, and her enthusiasm for this new approach to keeping people out of jail is inspiring and maybe a trend for the future. So Jane, I'm so excited to be speaking with you today. Um, can you start by telling us about Reset Foundation? Sure. Um, so we are a nonprofit organization. Our mission is to help dismantle the cycle of poverty prison that, that so many Americans find themselves trapped in. And what we basically do is we, um, instead of sending somebody to prison, we have them sent to a campus um, where everything about the campus is entirely focused on learning, education, helping our guys prepare for a job, leadership, life skills, and we run the campuses. Um, so it's kind of like a um, you know, they live in an outdoor environment and they're just immersed in this program that prepares them to succeed once they're, once they're done. And they live with us for one to three years instead of going to prison. And then we help transition them back to the community. Are there other programs like this um, in the U.S. or outside of the U.S.? And as the founder, can you tell us the story of um, how, how did this all happen? Sure. There are a couple. There's nothing quite like Reset um, in America. There definitely are other countries that do things very differently. Scandinavia is known for some of its good programs. Um, there's a handful kind of handful of countries scattered across the world. I would say in America, you tend to see this more frequently at the juvenile level for, for younger kids. You'll see, you know, so Colorado has some good examples. Missouri is known for their Missouri model, which tends to be a little more education-oriented. Um, it's it, you, you don't see it, though, at, at the adult level. And it's very rare for a program like, um, for programs that serve as alternatives to incarceration to be um, as holistic as we are. Oftentimes, you know, there might be, for example, in, in, in um, both in San Francisco and in D.C., see there's there's actual charter schools that work with incarcerated populations so you see that sometimes but they may not have as strong of a residential component or a you know a a social emotional component or a career component so you often you oftentimes don't see something that's as holistic and as immersive as as reset your second question was just about how we got started was that was that the question yes yes so um and do you kind of want the organizational highlights like how we've been around or more of a you know a personal how I got into this I think the personal that's yeah okay. mm-hmm. cool so I had actually um never imagined myself going into this field at all I had grown up overseas um, and we had moved around a bunch because of my dad's job and always thought that I would end up you know doing some kind of international development work or something along those lines. And for most of my undergrad, focused my studies on international relations and, and political science outside the U.S. And my freshman year of college at Stanford, I just happened to, our, our professor one day 
announced that there was a girl in the class who was starting to tutor in the San Francisco County jails, and would anyone go with her? You know, she was desperate for other volunteers, and and I knew this girl, and I was like, oh, Cammy's cool. Like, I could spend an hour with her every week. Why don't I just sign up for it? So I really just kind of happened to fall into this, and was utterly appalled at what what I saw when I started tutoring in the San Francisco County jails and was amazed that there were, you know, as serious of problems just 20 minutes away from where I was going to school um, that people weren't talking about and that were horrifying um, just to hear the life stories of the people that I was working with. And, and um, you know, that was, it's been, it's been a while, it's been a decade since that happened, but um, I think our, our country has, um, much better at, I, I think, we're focused a lot more on these issues, but back, back then, um, we weren't. And so, um, anyway, it was especially appalling for me to see some of those things. I ended up taking time off um, after my junior year to go teach in a county jail and just saw this, this cycle over and over of entire families trapped in you know, between poverty and incarceration, just trapped in the cycle over and over. And I had many sets of parent and child in class at the same time wow. for completely different reasons. And it was just heart-wrenching to see that we have generations that can't get out of this. And um, so I decided to, I decided um, my senior year of college, I just was actually brainstorming for several months, how could you tackle this cycle? I came back from that experience and really just wanted to do something about it and started brainstorming and throwing up post-it notes on my dorm room wall um, with possible solutions. And one day I just thought, what if you took a similar legal structure as what we see in the charter school world and apply that to the criminal justice system? Um, So the way the charter schools work, is basically you have a you have a nonprofit, a team of educators that approaches the state for funding and for the chance to have permission to run a program. They become approved, and then in exchange for that funding and the chance to run a program, run a school, they're held accountable to certain outcomes. So it's that kind of accountability um, for flexibility exchange. And I just thought, what if you could do the same thing, but with criminal justice, where you have a nonprofit that um, diverts people from prison. Instead of going to prison, they live at a campus that looks completely the opposite of, of what prison is. It's all focused on learning, and there's a stream of funds that's attached to it, so that's kind of how it's sustainable. But then in exchange, the campus is held accountable to outcomes, unlike our current prisons where there's no accountability for outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that went up on a little sticky note mm-hmm. on my wall, and it just kind of stayed with me. The idea kept growing, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I eventually moved out to the East Coast and um, worked for the Department of Ed out there um, in, in the schools that that worked on Rikers Island and, and taught some classes at Rikers and just was really compelled by both the, the need to do something and then also the opportunity to do something. Um, and so I uh, ended up going to grad school and explicitly in my admission statement to grad school just said that this is what I wanted to do. And um, thankfully, they didn't think I was too crazy enough and <laughs> maybe they did but um and then I just devoted the next four or five years of grad school to kind of building out on paper what reset would look like um and then okay so I I uh, spent a couple years just doing the research behind reset and trying to figure out 
what the model would look like on paper. And, um, and then I, uh, ended up teaming, I teamed up with my co-founder, Jen, who just walked into the room. That was her. And, um, and we started applying for, you know, some seed funding to, to get a couple pilots started. And that's kind of how it started. And I'd love to, so you mentioned the holistic environment. Can you talk to us about some of the, the types of, um, education or training that happens on campus? Sure. We have three main programmatic areas that we focus on. Academics is the first, um, career readiness, the second, and then wellness or social emotional supports. And each student receives a customized program depending on what their needs are um, that then, you know, translates into how much how much you know therapy they're going to get versus do they need a little more support on literacy or whatnot um and so i'll just speak briefly to each of the three pillars um and then feel free to ask more questions if you want to go into more depth on on the academic side we are so we're working with 18 to 24 year old guys who don't have a high school diploma Mm -hmm. which is the vast majority of when you look at who's in prison it tends to be um, men, 90% are men. A lot of them are are that kind of young adult age, 18 to 24. And then the vast majority also do not have high school diplomas. Um, and so on the academic side, one thing that we found is really important is we can't just recreate the, the bad public schools that, that didn't serve them well in the, in the first place. We can't just use that same type of learning because, um, you know, it'll... It didn't work in the first place, and and it actually may cause, you know, some issues or some. It may be a trigger for some of our students. So we're really trying to reimagine what education looks like. And our program that, that we've developed is very, very hands-on, very project-based, very inquiry-driven. Um, really emphasizes a lot of like experiential learning, in a way that is relevant to students' lives. So they're not just reading a book about something that doesn't relate to them in any way, but we're, we're always trying to make connections to their lives and get them engaged as much as possible. Um, we also have a big focus on literacy and, and numeracy and, and just really getting those, those basic skills, um, hitting those hard from day one. On the career side, um, we a lot of other organizations in this space focus on job placement and helping guys who may be coming out of prison or who are involved in this get a job. That's great and very needed. Um, it's not enough oftentimes to break the cycle though. And a job alone is not going to break that, that poverty and prison cycle for an entire generation. And so we are really thinking about careers and, and getting our jobs meaningful careers that have growth opportunities in them um, and, are, and would be enough for a family to, to get out of poverty as opposed to just jobs. And so um, there's a lot of different things we do on campus to prepare for that. We do have coursework that's dedicated to getting ready for a career. We also infuse um, a lot of career preparation and soft skills into the into the classroom environment. Um, so it doesn't feel like, oh, I have to choose between college or career. It's really both. Um, and, and they're building those 21st century skills and leadership and teamwork skills inside the classroom. Students also have on-campus jobs. They uh, are, you know, we give them opportunities and, and stipends um, while they're with us to progress um, a, a, in a couple different areas. Um, they're, they're given opportunities to, to start working while living on site um, and even grow into different, you know, little managerial roles. And eventually we help 
place them in the community as well with different organizations that we're forming partnerships with um, so that they'll actually have a, you know, a job when they leave. I mean, you've definitely selected a pretty unique career path. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little about the best parts of your job, what, what's most rewarding, and then what is your day-to-day like? Good question. Um, I think the best parts of my job is that I get to learn all the time. Every day is completely different, and my job has really changed from from what it was when we started. Um, when you're a startup organization, there's two of you. I mean, we were planning events, and Jen and I were picking out the color of the napkin on the table, you know? <laughs> and uh, and meanwhile, trying to talk to government and, and you know, zoning departments and Anyway, I, I, it's been so fun to learn, and that obviously that has changed now. Now we have someone on staff who's fabulous at events, and and meanwhile I'm focusing much more on you know the property search right now or whatever it might be. But um, point being, it's just it's it's we're always learning something new. We're always faced with new challenges, and it's been an incredible learning experience. That's probably my, my the favorite. My favorite part about it. It's I, also great to. Go ahead. I was going to say I, I also love working towards a vision that that you really believe in, and it never feels like I'm selling something or I'm I'm you know trying to just get money to support something that I don't really believe to my core is is the right thing for America to be doing right now, and and that's really a a joy to be able to believe completely in what you're doing and um, and in its importance for the country. We also have the fabulous staff, which makes it a real joy to work with. I feel like we've um, got a great team, and they're—I love learning from them. And we make so many mistakes together, and learn from each other. And it's been a—the a, staff has been another major part of the joy of working at Reset. You know, and that, it does sound amazing. And I'm wondering, so you went from this idea on a post-it to actually creating and building this vision that you had. Like, how were you able to? to, you know, actually make it happen and not get sidetracked or take another job? What do you think was in you to to see this vision through? I'd say two things. Um, first of all, was finding a co-founder who makes things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, my background is in, is in law and in education. Um, and my co-founder, Jen, um, had, had gone to business school and come from uh, a, you know, a business and she done some finance and and um, nonprofit management, and I knew nothing about fundraising. I you know I knew nothing about a financial model, and obviously like those things are are really necessary. And so I felt like it was a real perfect partnership. Um, and without her, we wouldn't have gotten anywhere. Got it. <laughs> so having having someone on on your team who can make things happen and and take vision to reality was was absolutely critical. Um, I also, I'm a woman of faith and I think I draw a lot of support from my faith and definitely felt just encouraged. I think, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of setbacks, a lot of challenging things about any startup and especially one in, in this field, um, which is a pretty typically resistant to change field. And so I think I've just been able to personally draw some, some strength and, and kind of fortification as as we go through those to, to stick with it. So that's been a kind of a personal, a personally motivating thing as well. Got it. And so a lot of people aren't, um, they know that we have a really large problem with prisons and incarceration, but what do you think would surprise people? Like I, I was reading how you had said that we could send prisoners to Andover, a top boarding school at the same cost of keeping them in prison, yeah. which is a pretty surprising statistic. Like, can you speak about any other things that you think 
people would say, wow, I, I can't believe that. Yeah. You know, um, I'll share an anecdote from our pilot last year that to me was surprising. Um, you know, you, you hear all these statistics about who's in jail, who we're locking up. And um, one thing that just kind of shocked me last year during our pilot was how much death there is. Hmm. And, um, you know, we had, we had one student who over the course of his time with us, which was just a couple months, um, had seven close friends murdered. Hmm. And that was, you know, I, you, you hear these statistics, one in three black men ends up in prison. You hear these kind of big, broad numbers, but it was like, this one guy sitting in our class, seven of his family members and close friends gone over the course of just this short period of time. I mean, it was, I think that, that, that to me, a lot of those stories brought it home even more than, than just the, the big statistic realizing like that is what that means in an individual's life. And oh my gosh, what if that were, you know, what if that were me? What if that were what my best friend or sister experienced or, you know, um, I think realizing how much how much death is actually um, going on was was really eye opening for me. Um, some of the other statistics I think that are that are appalling is just how much money we spend on it. The Exeter example or the you know Andover is one, um, and and that that has increased. Um, how much that's increased as well. Um, that there's there's more people in prison right now than there were slaves at the time, you know, when, uh, of, the, of the Civil War, when Abraham Lincoln mm. uh, and, and the Emancipation Proclamation came out, um, that it's really just a massive problem. And, it's, and the, the prison population has quadrupled over the last four decades. You know, that America wasn't always this way. And we made choices in our, in our policies and in our rhetoric uh, that have led to the situation we're in today. And we can make other choices. I think it's it's often hard when there's you know so many different difficult social issues. How do, how do we get ourselves here? We don't have to be here. We we can we can choose to be somewhere else. And in the past, we actually have been in a different place, and we can make those those same choices today and um, and choose an alternative mindset around around justice uh, that's much more humane and cost effective and and ultimately much more American. Yeah. So if somebody's listening and they're inspired and they think, you know, I'd really like to get into this type of work to really help, um, like help in the way that you're doing, what would you say to them about the kinds of qualities or skills that it would take for someone to be successful working in an organization like yours? Yeah, I think, um, commitment is definitely big. This is, um, you know, it's, it's a hard issue to work in because it's not a, uh, there's a lot of day in, day out, you know, we're going to, we're going to help this guy learn how to read better or prepare him for a job. And, and there's just a lot of like day in, day out work that, um, isn't celebrated or, or, um, always appreciated and that's hard. Um, so I feel like commitment is definitely a big one. I would also add humility, um, as an organization, we, we just really value the importance of having a growth mindset and, and learning and being open to change and being humble about our work. Um, and, and as, as people realizing that we don't know the whole picture, we're just starting out. Um, 
And I think that is something that affects every staff member or is needed for every staff member on the team, wherever it is that whatever their position is, whether it's learning to better communicate with a student or, or the communities that we're working with or their families and just having a, you know, an open mind about how we're going about doing this. Yeah. And so what challenges keep you awake at night in your role? Or there's just too many to list. <laughs> <laughs> like whatever challenge is, is most current. Um, at different times, it's been different things. Fundraising uh, has, has certainly been a challenge. Government contracts is certainly a challenge. Our property search has been a major challenge, largely because we're in the Bay Area and there's not a lot of land to go around for super cheap. Um, you know, concerns about about different staff members and how the team dynamic is going, you know, I think it's just kind of varies from week to week and month to month, but, um, yeah. And as a, <laughs> sure. And as a, you know, as someone who started uh, a foundation nonprofit, um, if you were starting over, what's would, is there other skills or experience you would focus on getting? Um, it's a good question. I think, um, you mean as a team or me personally? Um, personally, personally, you know, I <laughs> we had a conversation once with a, um, a really seasoned woman who is a professional in the field. She had done incredible work for so many different justice agencies, and um, my co-founder and I, you know, are, are both on the younger end. And she, anyway, sat us down, and we we um, just were able to get some great advice from her and. At the end of our conversation, she said, you two are so naive. You have no idea what's about to hit you. And then she said, I think, I think that, that you guys are the only people that can do it, though, because of that. Hmm. And that being naive and, and younger, actually, like, you're willing to dive in because of that very reason. And um, I thought a bunch about that because um, there are certainly a lot of things that make it really hard. And I think if, you know, if I had worked in the system for, you know, another 30 years, I may not have been willing to take this jump. And, and, uh, um, so in some ways the lack of experiences can be a good thing. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I think, I think there's definitely been, um, Jen and I are definitely learners and we try to get as much advice as we can at every stage and, and talk to experts in the field and, and then hire those experts when we get to that point. Um, and so I think we've really tried to just have an attitude of learning. I don't regret the path that I took and I also don't regret the timing. I feel like it, it came at the right time and I wouldn't have gone and gotten an extra degree or, you know, worked for another place before I, before I did. I feel like I have no regrets about the timing and the path of, of when, when I started. Um, and, um, which isn't to say that, I haven't made a thousand mistakes and learned a whole lot along the way, um, but feel like the the naivete ended up being a blessing um, because we've been willing to stick with it and get it off the ground. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I was reading how you met your partner, and it definitely seems like fate that the two of you, both passionate on this topic, (laughs) found each other. Yeah, serendipity for sure. Yep. And so with more focus on prison reform from politicians, do you think there's a tipping point coming? Are we going to see big change? And also, if you could make one change in state or national policy, do you know what it would be or is it too hard to pick one? I sure hope we're headed for a tipping point. I feel like 
what's nice is you really have folks from both sides of the aisle that recognize from across the aisle that really see how how corrupt our and, and backwards our current system is, whether it's for, for you know, for just humane reasons or financial ones or, you know, I think there's there's so many people from different segments of society that are, are realizing this. And so um, there aren't a lot of issues that have bipartisan support, you know, politically, but I feel like this is one where where wherever you are on a political spectrum, you recognize that something's got to change and there's a much better, smarter way to be doing it. Um, it's been really encouraging to me to hear a lot of people talking about let's be smarter on crime as opposed to tougher on crime and and um, I feel like there's been a lot of really good movement especially in the last couple years literally um, with different different organizations popping up different you know politicians giving different kinds of support and just the dialogue and and media focusing on this issue um, which has been good to see if there's one policy that's hard to say um (laughs) I think I, I personally, yeah, I mean, I, I personally am, am, and I'm probably very irked by a lot of the solitary confinement, um, Mm. treatment and that to me that, you know, but I don't know if that would be my answer in terms of like, if I really could just choose one, I'd probably pick something else, but, um, and really think about it. But, um, solitary confinement to me has just always been so appalling that we do what we do in many places. Um, but I'm not sure if that would be the most impactful. So would would probably rethink before yeah, submitting yeah. a proposal. <laughs> no, thank you. Thanks for sharing. And so for people who are passionate on this topic, um, how how would you recommend they get involved? Or maybe how can they find you in your organization? Yeah. I mean, please visit our website, um, theresetfoundation.org. I know that we are um, eager, certainly, for, I mean, if there's folks in the Bay Area who are interested in being mentors or community partners or corporations who are interested in, you know, having either job shadowing or mentoring or internship opportunities, um, jobs for our guys. We're always interested in those things. Um, and then have really benefited from folks really across the nation, um, supporting us both financially, but also just with pro bono support, whether it's helping us with, you know, something on our website or legal or whatever it is. I think we've benefited from a lot of volunteers so please find us online i think more generally um what's exciting is that this is a you know there's lots of different outlets to be involved in this issue and um almost you know everywhere across the country there's there's some organization that's doing something locally um and and i think with the timing of the spotlight being on this issue um it's become easier to connect with them so definitely encourage all forms of support for, for this issue generally. Great. Thanks. And how about last question? Do you follow, who do you turn to for inspiration, advice, um, any recommendations for, for authors or blogs or other organizations? I want to ask you that question. I I feel like you (laughs) would have such a, I, I, yeah, such a great list. Um, oh gosh, it varies so much. Um, or you could just talk to us. What's on? What are you reading? What's on your night table? I like to ask that question. Too. Yeah, I mean, um, Jen is just reminding me here. Um, I so right now on my night table is a fabulous book on parenting. <laughs> Very important. Um, by Greg Bear, um, and he actually has a series. It's not just parenting, but he also 
has a book on um, his his work, his series is entitled Real Love, and he's got one version for the workplace, one for or parenting one for relationships anyway he's i feel like he has a does an incredible job just talking about um the difference between the the need for love the need for people to feel unconditionally loved and how the vast majority of the world um doesn't have it doesn't feel that way and and really what we're just doing is trading around conditional love i love you if you do this for me instead of i just care about your happiness mm-hmm. um so i found a ton of of um, great insights in his work. Um, I also love. I mean, I mentioned that I'm a woman of faith. There's been a lot of different spiritual texts that I've that I've really enjoyed. Um, both everything from I just this summer kind of read a bunch of different Buddhist authors um, about suffering and holding that and, and working through that, um, which is fantastic. And also enjoyed reading. Um, a bunch of other spiritual texts from, you know, from India earlier in the year. I guess it's not currently on my nightstand. I love the Bible, um, the Book of Mormon. I mean, there's just, I think, a bunch that I have read that I have really drawn strength from. Um, what else? No, that's but great. Good authors. I'm, I, I should, I, yeah, I should put together a list because I'm just trying to think of well, you know what? I would love to, um, if you do have a list, especially some of the Buddhist ones you mentioned, I'd love to add that to the show notes um, because I think uh, I think that's great what you just mentioned and the one about the unconditional love. So I think that's a great way to uh, end our call. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was, it was such a pleasure to learn about what you're doing and I'm inspired by how you went from vision to actually making this happen. So um, Thanks. wonderful. And um, we will be talking to you again soon, hopefully, and great. as your organization so grows. Yep. We'll be in touch. Thanks.